Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside my good friend and host of the Bucks Radio Network, Justin Garcia, for today's episode that's brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me on Tuesday nights. Uh, that's after Game 2. The night after Game 2, we're going to have a live Locker Room podcast. That's Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Uh, Justin, we, we were briefly discussing this before we started recording, as we generally do. We come on here to do a podcast, and then we end up bullshitting for about 10 minutes before we start. Look, the Bucks find themselves down 1-0. They get another opportunity in Brooklyn tomorrow night, or tonight, as most people are listening to this podcast. And generally, you look at the first two games of a series when you're on the road as an opportunity to steal one of these and come home with a nice piece of momentum with home court looking to take advantage of that lead. So... The Bucks find themselves in, in a fine situation. It's not panic stations yet. You tweeted something after the game yesterday that I, I thought was at least interesting, and I wanted to get your sort of mindset why you felt this way. You said that oh. this, I, I think, and I'm paraphrasing this because I don't have this out, uh, and this is not to throw you under the bus here, Justin, <laughs> Leah, but I think you said something along the lines of this was a missed opportunity. I believe that was around the, the idea of James Harden getting injured and not playing, but with the Bucks down 1-0, do you still feel that way? What what sort of prompted that sort of thought? Because I, I think we saw a, a lot of stuff being thrown out there as we generally do as a series moves on after one game, not looking ahead to what could potentially happen next. But uh, what what sort of prompted that? What did you see in this game that made you feel that the Bucks wasted a, a golden opportunity in game one? Um, pain, misery, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Uh, so the, the series is by no means over, but this felt like a game you needed to take. Yeah. Uh, for all we know, Harden could be back on Monday and the injury isn't serious, blah, blah, blah. So it was it was mostly, and look, I, I think with what has started to come out, and I guess we can be reckless with our speculation here, but um, with the benefit of hindsight, after the game, and there's a lot that you can put into it, but after the game, when we heard the reactions of Steve Nash and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, it doesn't sound promising for James Harden. And I think, you know, I guess where you would start is the fact that James Harden immediately knew this isn't good and didn't even jog and just walk down court and into the locker room. But when you saw him go out, my whole point was you got an opportunity here that we don't know at the time. We didn't know if he was going to play in game two. He could be back for game three that if you get that advantage where one of the three big three leaves for the Nets, it feels like you have to take advantage because this isn't the Miami Heat. And I think game one was that in a microcosm where the Bucks, to a T almost played the exact same way they did against Miami and not quite as good defensively. Uh, but you saw the difference between the two teams where it was what, I think five for 31 against Miami and six for 30 on threes against Brooklyn. You can win those games with points in the paint and with defense against teams like the Heat. But when the shooting's like that, 
and when it's like it was for specifically Durant and uh, Kyrie in the first half, you're not going to win those games. So there was more to it than that. But um, the overall point to me was you got a little bit of an opportunity early when you built up that nearly 10-point lead and you saw James Harden leave the game. It felt like a game that you needed to take. And and I know you pointed this out as well – Brooklyn was on the other end of the spectrum where they had a bit of bad luck with the injury to James Harden, but this was the Blake Griffin and Mike James game and they took advantage of it and won those games or that game. Yeah. So I think that's the way I interpreted the tweet as well. And the James Harden stuff is certainly real. And we don't know again, who knows? I mean, I I said in the post game, just from the looks, uh, you know, to me and, uh, look, I've done my hamstring a few times playing footy. And generally, like, if you don't even try to, to run and you've done it before, it, it's not a good sign, particularly with reoccurring injuries. We'll wait and see. He's not playing in game two. That's that's official. He's officially out for this game. And as far as the Bucks go, that bad well, and, and real quick, too, I wouldn't expect to find out he's out for the series. That I, I think yeah, it's I just going to be continual. He's not going to play in game three. He's not going to play in game four. And it does Brooklyn no good to say he's not coming back. No, I 100% agree. And the wording that they said tightness and not a strain, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how real that is. We'll see, you know, whether he gets close to playing again or how they try and play this. But this is the playoffs. There's going to be some mind games there. I went back and watched this game again, though. And when you talk about the other reasons why this was a wasted opportunity, I 100% agree. As much as I don't think in the grand scheme of a seven-game series, losing game one on the road is a disaster, you have to take advantage of little opportunities. And we talk about luck all the time. The hardened stuff was luck. But what wasn't luck was the fact that the Bucks raced out to a 20-11 lead in this game. And I, I wanted to watch the game again to have a, a better look at the rotations and a better look at the minutes and the, the critical stages of this game, particularly in the first half for mine. I said on yesterday's podcast that I thought a significant turning point in this game was when Giannis missed two free throws. The Nets went down the other end, hit the three uh, with Kyrie in the corner, and then got the Shamit dunk straight after. That was the moment where I thought the game was lost. But if we go back to the first half, and this sometimes gets hidden because you look at the halftime score and it's 63 to 61. So you say, okay, it was pretty even. The reality is the Bucs probably should have been leading, but there was some stuff that went down that was disappointing to look back at here. Now, the Bucs are leading 18 to 11. It's at the seven-minute mark of the first quarter, and Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez both lead the game. Now, if you remember back to what happened at the start of this game, Brooke Lopez was a force on the offensive boards, and when you combine the fact with Harden went out, I was sitting on my couch thinking, goodness, this is exactly what we thought was going to happen. The Bucks' size is causing humongous problems right now. Offensively, they're getting the rebounds, they're getting the putbacks, and Brooke Lopez looks like he's causing all sorts of problems. Lopez and Holiday went out at that stage at the seven-minute mark. I have no idea why. And then Holiday came back into the game for Giannis a minute later, and Giannis effectively had um, a, a couple of minutes off in the first quarter. And then in the second quarter, he had four minutes off from the nine-minute mark to around the five-minute mark where the Bucks went from having a lead to losing. And, and I think when we look at the minutes, there's two guys that I'll look at. The easy one that everyone draws attention to, and quite frankly, I saw on Twitter a lot of people that you know don't watch the Bucks on a nightly basis, just piling on to get their Twitter likes and get their Twitter retweets saying, ah, oh, Budenholzer is all the same because they know that they can rile up the Bucks fan base because it's easy Twitter clicks. Like, that's, that's what it was, people that don't watch the team. So congratulations to those guys for getting their likes and retweets. And I would like to see Giannis play more minutes. He should be up pushing around 40. 
But I think Brook Lopez is the key here because that stretch there at the start of the game told me how the Bucks should be dominating this series. Giannis is going to get his numbers. He probably should have more isolations. He should probably be more attacking. But to me, Brook Lopez only playing 27 minutes, being taken out of the game at the seven-minute mark there for some reason. I'm not sure why. They have to find a way to get him above 30 minutes and get him more involved. He is the clear mismatch on this team. Along with Giannis, who's going to get his 35 to 40 points a night. I think we saw that. Brooklyn don't have anything to slow him down. They need to take advantage of Brook Lopez, who for the most part wasn't utilized on offense. Yeah, I think that was the most um, confusing thing to me was seeing the rotations that you talked about and, and the Giannis stuff early on in the game. And um, when you juxtapose it with what Brooklyn did, that at one point, in the third quarter, I remember looking at the box score and thinking, I don't really remember seeing Kyrie out of this game at all. And same with KD. And, and you saw it was clear from Kevin or from Steve Nash that once he saw James Harden go down, his frame of view was, okay, he's out and he's not returning to the game. It's on YouTube that I'm riding Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And I think at one point going into the fourth quarter, Kyrie had played all but 56 seconds of the game, and Kevin Durant was pushing the minutes as well. So you saw that, and then you saw, uh, quite frankly, rotations that reminded you of what we saw in the playoffs the last two years, a, a, a stark contrast from what we saw in that series against the Miami Heat. And that's what was most confusing to me. And, and look, as, as we said at the top of the show, um, you were going to have an uphill battle to beat this Brooklyn team to begin with. And losing game one – doesn't make it any easier. But um, you do have some advantages that we know James Harden isn't going to play. But I think if you want to look for the encouragement, it's that a lot of the issues that the Bucks had were self-inflicted, that the minutes that we just ran through and some of the rotations, that's things that you can fix. You assume Chris Middleton isn't going to have the same type of shooting night that he did in game one. Same can be said for Drew Holiday as well. And I think it's just most important that you get back to Giannis and Brooke Lopez in the paint because we saw how well that created offense for him in the first, what, four minutes of the game. And that's where the encouragement is for me, that it's not like you look at this Brooklyn team that has all of this talent and say, man, there was nothing we could do that slowed them down. Kind of like what Miami was saying about us in the first round, uh, that those things that you had, the advantages in the paint, and you figure we're going to have games where we start to hit shots, that that's all going to change. So, not all is lost, but it means we need to see those minutes tick up for Giannis and for Brooke Lopez. And I know as we speak of Giannis, I know there was a lot of complaints, probably from the same group out there on social media that you referred to before, of Giannis taking three-pointers. And look, I have no problem with Giannis taking three to five threes in a game. And the funny thing is we're going to complain about Giannis shooting threes when he was far and away their most effective three-point shooter in that game. I have no problem with him taking those shots. If you want to nitpick Giannis's shot profile, to me, it was some of those moments where we saw the turnaround jumper and the fadeaway when he had it in a couple of instances, Landry Shaman on him, that there's nobody on Brooklyn that can slow you down. So if you're taking a shot inside the three-point line, just go all the way to the basket. Indeed. I, I agree with your point, but I'm also talking about our sponsors of the show, Indeed. Because if you're hiring, if you're a hiring expert for your company, 
What you really need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality list, uh, quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to update your job post at indeed.com slash locked. Get $75 credits at indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, And I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast, Justin, but I think, you know, when you lose a tough game, you need to... Recover, and I think a, a nice way to recover would be by having a built bar, the best tasting protein bar that's ever been made. They still got the nine delicious f- flavors there online that you can check out. You know, a bunch of them coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. You can keep going down the list. There's something there for everyone. And you can still get the mixed box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors if you feel that way as well. So, built bars are healthy for you. That's the best thing about it pre workout, post workout, during the game. Whenever you're hungry, really, Built Bar is a great snack to have. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Today on Road to the Finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Just think about that, Justin, having a built bar during a game and washing it down with a Michelob Ultra. This sounds like, a, sounds like an unbelievable combination to have. But getting back to the point you made before the break there, and you know, I, I banged on about Brooke Lopez. And, and look, the conversations we always have with playoff series is who can be the best player on the floor? Now, I think we saw yesterday that Giannis can and could be the best player in this series, which is why the Bucks are still a definite chance to take this series. Now, he had 24 field goal attempts yesterday in his 35 minutes. Across the course of the season against Brooklyn in the three games, he attempted 30 shots per game, which is a remarkable number for Giannis. But I want to see it. I want to see him yeah. have 30 shots tomorrow because this team can't actually stop him. The crazy number is only the, the three free throw attempts. But when I went back and thought about the that number, because it's it's obviously very low, and I think we saw across the board that there wasn't a lot of fouls being called in this game apart from that yeah, one possession. The, the Bucs had twice as many free throw attempts as the Nets. Yeah, exactly. Which again, if we talk about the upside for the Bucs, that's obviously the upside for the Nets. Apart from that possession where the officials decided to blow the whistle every three seconds and put the, put the Nets in the penalty for some reason, I, I don't know. They put the whistles away. So you have to be wary of that a little bit. But the second part of that is the fact that they just literally don't have any physical resistance for Giannis, which is why he wasn't getting fouled because he was just going straight to the basket. So look, more Giannis, more Brook Lopez as well, because when you look at the 11 field goal attempts, I'm going to keep banging on about this. He had five offensive rebounds. So a couple of those were, were putbacks. He also had the end of first half shot there, which was just a, a scrambled play, try and get the final shot. It wasn't designed for Brook Lopez to take advantage of anything. And then he had one at the end of the third quarter as well, a buzzer beater. Yeah. So when you really think about it, they ran nothing for Brook Lopez at all. So I mentioned this yesterday. When you look at the shot disparity, 33-point attempts is a low number for Milwaukee as well. So I think that they did try and take advantage of different 
mismatches there, but I just think that they can do it a little bit more. And you made the point, Justin. Let's be honest. Chris Middleton, 6 for 23. Drew Holiday, 7 for 19. The conversation all year and over the last couple of years has been, is Chris Middleton the number two? The conversation this year has been, well, Drew Holiday is our number two. And we always laugh about that because I don't give a shit about that conversation. But if you're talking about your three best players without James Harden, you need one of Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday to be better than Blake Freakin' Griffin, okay? This is, is what we're talking about. They need to be better than that guy. They should be better than that guy. And quite frankly, they have to be better than that guy. Well, and uh, to get back to your point about Brooke Lopez specifically, but the duo of Brooke and Giannis, I think just going away from what we saw in those first few minutes of the game too, you did a big service to the Brooklyn Nets and it kind of played into their hand because if you continue to go down that path and the Nets showing no resistance, you're forcing their hand to put DeAndre Jordan on the court. And that changes so much for the Bucks on the defensive end as well, where it's not Blake Griffin and you don't have to worry about somebody hitting that outside shot. So if for no other reason, then it's a double two-pronged attack for the Bucks offensively and defensively to me, that's why I would assume we're going to see a healthy dose of Brooke and Giannis attacking the painting game too. And I think it is worth noting because we always, and this is just by nature of watching the Bucks and watching it through the lens of the Milwaukee Bucks and what they can do better. Brooklyn were fantastic at, at putting multiple bodies in the paint and securing those rebounds. I mean, they, they really were better at doing that. And I think for the most part, they had hustled the Bucks and they were more desperate than the Bucks. And that's where Milwaukee can get better. I think it's also worth acknowledging, if you went back and watched this game and looked at how Brooklyn were boxing out Brook Lopez, I keep on saying it, but the amount of disrespect you get as a big man in the league, and this is the downside of the Bucks having this huge physical advantage over the Nets is, the officials aren't going to call jack shit. And there was multiple times in this game where Joe Harris was one that I saw a number of times not even facing the ball, not even facing the basket, facing Brook Lopez with two hands in his chest and just trying to walk him back like he's a linebacker in the NFL, and they're not going to call it. So the Bucs have to be aware of this, and it's, it's a dangerous game to play because you know that as the bigger team, they're going to call fouls on you, and it's going to be a fr- source of frustration for the Bucs fans right throughout this series. I know that, but I just think the Bucs have to be more physical. Yeah, and um, I guess to me and, and that end too um, – I do wonder if, and maybe it's wishful thinking on my part, but I do wonder if we're going to see um, any minutes fourth and assets. Oh, if the I knew you were going there. I saw, the, I saw this come up on Twitter. I knew you were going there. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I'm not calling for him to play 10 to 15 minutes, but it's an intriguing possibility to throw out there for a couple of minutes, especially if we see P.J. Tucker run into foul trouble and we talked about, trying to stagger the Tucker and Giannis minutes or Chris, whoever it is, defending Kevin Durant. Uh, to me, Thanasis would be the guy that I would go to, but remains to be seen. Listen, Justin, I'll give you this. If you want to take away all 14 of Jeff Teague's minutes and give Thanasis five to six of those and see what happens, I'm fine with it as long as Teague does I would say three to four and then just spread the rest out to Giannis, but sure. I mean, if nothing else, just to piss off Blake Griffin, I'd be down for that. I actually heard a, a few different sort of post-game reactions or whatever, and a lot of people were saying that, you know, Jeff Teague just has to play better. Um, I would say <laughs> that he just doesn't have to play because, yeah. I, again, I, I understand what Bud was trying to do. And, and, again, this is why I said that the loss of Dante DiVincenzo is much bigger than I think a lot of Bucks mm-hmm. fans realize because sometimes you get, again, you get locked into the shooting, the shot selection, whatever it is. You get the, the fact that he misses layups. People get 
locked into that. But no, it, it hurts your depth because I know Bud said after the game they've got a deep team. I know people have talked about the bench all season long. I know people have probably thought that I've been a little bit harsh on Bryn Forbes and Bobby Portis despite the fact that they were huge in the Miami series. But we saw last night that you're not going to be able to rely on those guys every single night. You're just not going to yeah. be able to. You hope that you get the offense. But we know this. This Bucks team is nowhere near as deep as where it was in the past. You're going to have to play eight guys, maybe nine in a pinch. So, so that's why, you, you know, I, I, I know he wanted more ball handling. I know you lose that from DiVincenzo, but he proved it. Whatever you think that you're going to get from him on the offensive end, you're going to completely lose it immediately on the defensive end. So just don't play him. It's just not worth it. Well, and again, the confusing part was, was it, was it game three or game four where we saw Jeff Teague for a couple minutes against Miami and he didn't have it and Bud pulled him immediately and we didn't see him again for the remainder of that game. So that's the most confusing part is to see the way that he handled the rotations in that series. And then it just went by the wayside in game one against Brooklyn. And yeah, I I mean, between the two, I would much rather give the minutes to Thanasis and keep them at around the same minutes that Thanasis played in game one, which was, I think, four or just under four minutes. Um, and I was also surprised. Now, look, he didn't have a great game, and we know about the offensive production that wasn't there. But uh, Brooklyn, and granted, they were doing so much well that they didn't have to go out of their way. But but Brooklyn didn't really take advantage of Brent Forbes on the defensive end. But still, I think you have to be much more judicious with his minutes as well in when he's on the court. And I think it has to be in those minutes when Kevin Durant is off and when Landry Shamit is on the court, because then it's, it's kind of a, the Spider-Man meme where you can target Landry Shamit and they can go after Brent Forbes and you can put those two on each other. So, um, you know, he was over 20 minutes. I, I think you can play him that many minutes if he's hitting shots, if he's not, it's gotta be around 15 and just continue to give those minutes to your main guys. Yeah, and it, it can't be a set rotation night in, night out. And, and look, I think in general, Bud has done a, a fantastic job all season long of staggering these guys. I think if you go back and look at the rotation pattern from game one, he did do a good job of generally, almost all the time, having two of the three guys out there. And that's what you need to do. And I don't think it's fair to look at the numbers of Kyrie and KD on the floor together and compare it to the big three, which I saw some people tweeting out because, of course, two guys are going to play more than three. I mean, that's that's just <laughs> that's the way it's going to work. But I think when you have the advantage and what you think should be a high-end, a top-end talent advantage with a third guy, you've got to play all three more often and get them rest one after the other. That's fine. But but play the combination of the three more. And I think that's what all Bucks fans want to see. And as far as saving them and resting them and keeping them fresh, look people play dumb and say, what's he talking about? It's the playoffs. We know he's talking about the fourth quarter. And Giannis, in the end, in the second half, would have played over 20 minutes if this game wasn't a blowout. So we know that's what he's talking about. We don't have to be silly about that. But my argument would be, don't give Giannis two separate four-minute breaks in the first half. He doesn't need it. You don't need to do that. This is simple stuff. So we'll see how this changes in game two. Uh, BetOnline.ag is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. And you can also get the odds, the news, and info for no, the entire MLB, but also the NBA playoffs, NHL, UFC and MMA as well. I think there was some sort of boxing uh, fight on tonight, which uh, I wouldn't, I I would not ever be caught spending a second of my life looking at that particular matchup. But anyway, before the next pitch, 
Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Head to the website and sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code locked on. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's talk defense a little bit here, Justin, as we wrap up the last 10 minutes or so of this show. It was fascinating to me, and again, I feel like this is the Brook Lopez podcast, but to get back to Brooke, I did find it a little bit fascinating overall that it felt to me, and I haven't got the numbers, I would have to look it up, just watching it again, it, it, I didn't notice it as much as I certainly have against Miami, certainly as I have towards the back end of the season. It didn't look like the Bucks were really switching at all uh, on this night, or very, very rarely. Now, I think we understand that they like the individual matchups that they wanted or planned for. So whether it's Tucker on Durant, Milton on Harris, Giannis on Kyrie for extended stretches, fine. Like they like those matchups. But I also think a part of it is, well, you've been practicing all year. They're switching. It looks like you've got it to a really good place against Miami. You've got to trust these guys. That's why you've got the versatility. That's why you've got the number of different guys that if you switch onto him, you feel comfortable that they're going to be able to do the job. And the second part of the defense that was a little bit concerning was with Brooke, because if you're going to play this defense where you're not going to, uh, where you're not going to switch and you're going to go over the screens and drive the guy into the mid-range and have Brooke Lopez pedaling back, the problem is against Brooklyn is that a lot of the times the, the three guys that are going to do it and they're going to really, really hurt you, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, and Kyrie Irving, you can't just be giving these guys open jump shots the whole time. That's the whole reason why you started switching was to prevent these types of scenarios. Brooklyn are going to score. I think overall the Bucks will look at the defensive rating and say, Look, we did a pretty good job. This was a pretty good defensive effort. I don't think defensively they were torched by any stretch, but there were still too many times where I was looking at it in either Brooklyn let the bikes off the hook or they just knocked down these, these jump shots where I was like, man, you've got to be doing something different here. And I think part of that was why Brook only played 27 minutes. And this is the back and forth now with who has the advantage. Brooklyn are going to go small? Sure. But for Milwaukee, you also have to think about doing some things differently to make their life a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they didn't play poorly. And it's kind of what we no. said coming into the series where, look, you need to expect offense and expect points. And it's more of a, a matter of how did they get to those points. And I, I forget who it was, but I heard somebody earlier in the week. It was Marcus Johnson who was talking about uh, the importance of defense. And, you know, I, I think oftentimes when we look at uh, individual defenders, when they're matched up on a premier score, you look at the box score and you say, well, Kevin Durant scored 35 points. How can you say he did a good job? And as Marcus pointed out, well, he scored 35, but, you know, he was 7 of 20 from the floor and he did it on a night when against just the league average defender, he would have been at 45. So you did your job there. And that's what you have to look at in this series. And I think when you look at all the numbers from this game, you leave it on the defensive end saying the Bucks did okay that, you know, Brooklyn, I think in the first half, they were much, much better offensively and hitting a lot of difficult shots, especially uh, KD and Kyrie Irving. And we saw that regress a little bit in the second half. But when you look at, you know, the mid-range shots, it was fairly even for both teams, which is an area Brooklyn feasts on. It was just the three-pointers that you point to. And the defense, too, I, there was a couple of times where it reminded you of the regular season where you did see kind of 
uh, I guess, half switching, and it was more just confusion. And it reminded you of those games against the Mavs and the Jazz early in the season where guys weren't really sure. And I think it's exactly what you said, that the Bucks just liked those individual matchups and especially putting Tucker in the starting lineup. They wanted to stick to that. And there were moments when the switches were created and there's one I remember where Pat kind of got trapped. And then we remember the one, it wasn't a switch, but when Bryn Forbes went to double Blake Griffin, there just seemed to be a lot of confusion between them. And I think you saw that at times with Brooke as well, where he was kind of caught in the middle and not sure of, are we switching here? Or am I supposed to be all the way back in the drop and protecting the paint? And, and you know, that's stuff that you certainly wouldn't anticipate not seeing after you had a week to prepare for this. But it kind of goes back to the point we made earlier in the show of, look, if you want to be positive about this and say, look, it's not over. It's just one game. It's that a lot of the issues the Bucks had were self-inflicted, that things like that with the defense, you clean that up and figure out, are we going to incorporate switching at all? And uh, if not, are we just staying with these matchups that we've tried to dictate and the shot selection and those things that these are things that you anticipate will go better for the Bucks. And that coupled with James Harden not playing in game two should yield better results. The PJ Tucker question is interesting to me. And I did pose this to Frank late on yesterday's pod. And I, I think in the end, we both came to the agreement that if the Bucks and Mike Budenholzer believe that PJ Tucker is the best matchup for Kevin Durant, then you probably don't change the starting lineup. And I, I think that's right. And, and it's not like I believe that swapping PJ Tucker for Pat Connaughton is some sort of move that's going to change the series. And hey, credit to PJ. I said this, I, I tweeted at the start of the game yesterday, who would have had money on PJ Tucker to be the first scorer in the series? And it was, it was so funny because yes, he hit a corner three, but he also had that little floater and then he got to the free throw line as well. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, PJ Tucker, imagine if he has 20 points in this game. It obviously didn't eventuate, but it's been fascinating to see this matchup with Kevin Durant because look, these two guys have gone toe to toe a number of times over the last couple of seasons. I love seeing them go at each other. I love seeing PJ always yapping away at him. Like it's a fun matchup to watch, but I'm yet to really see anything that tells me that PJ Tucker is, is doing anything to make Kevin Durant feel uncomfortable. Like I'm not seeing it. Like we know that PJ Tucker is, we know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get Durant to go right to the baseline and force him to the baseline. The trouble is he does a pretty good job at that and he's physical and I don't, this isn't a knock on PJ Tucker at all. But you've seen it time and time again that he gets Durant where he really wants him, but then Durant just goes, I don't care. Like, there's literally nothing you can do if I want to shoot this jump shot. And Durant on the move to the baseline, it's money. It feels like he's never going to miss that shot. So I'm just questioning, and we know that Bud wanted to put Chris Milton on Joe Harris clearly in a similar role to what we saw against Duncan Robinson, but... I'm just questioning whether you're just better off putting length on Kevin Durant because, you know, we've seen Middleton do a decent job in the past, but he's got significantly more length than PJ Tucker does. The easy answer would be to put Giannis on him from the start, but I will say that I do understand that there is some concern with how crafty Durant is that you put two fouls on Giannis in the first quarter. So my my solution to that would be is go with Chris Middleton from the start, and then if you if you want in the second quarter or in the second half, go to Giannis, put the length on KD because PJ Tucker is in trouble in him. And, and by the way, like Tucker is, is a fantastic option secondary off the bench if they want to do that with the rotations when Giannis and Chris get those short bursts. I'm not saying that he's doing a bad job. I just don't think he has the size to trouble him. 
Yeah, I, I think it, it epitomizes everything we've kind of said about the offense for Brooklyn, that they're just going to score. So you just have to make them work to get it. And P.J. Tucker made Kevin Durant work on those oh, yeah. possessions. But it's, it's like you said, that when he gets to that spot, P.J. can can push him in the spot that he wants, you know, all he wants. He can, he can set that up. But with the length that Kevin Durant has and the length that P.J. Tucker does not have, Kevin Durant is going to be able to get off that shot every single time. So um, I guess maybe the hope is if you stick with this matchup throughout the series, maybe you can wear down Kevin Durant and tire him out a little bit. But you just kind of, if this is what you're going to stick with, you do it knowing and you have to live with, he's probably going to be around 30 plus, and, And that was going to be the case anyway. But he's going to be around 30 points and getting the shot over P.J. Tucker. It's just we got to be physical with him and make him work to get that shot. I just, you know, I guess there, there's no real great option with Dante out. So yeah. you, you could talk me into anything for the starting lineup. I just, as we kind of stated at the top two, my preference would still be for PJ to be that sixth man that comes off the bench and you can use him to spot either Chris or Giannis, depending on the matchup and um, kind of stagger those minutes a little bit because to me it's his best usage is just coming in off the bench and you think you get a little bit of a of a reprieve if you're Kevin Durant because Chris Middleton's going out or Giannis if he's defending me is going out and now PJ Tucker comes in so to me that's the optimal usage for him but um I don't really get a sense that we're going to see the Bucks change because we know how much uh, Bud likes to stick with what he sticks with once uh, he's set his mind on that. So if for no other reason than that, I would anticipate P.J. Tucker is going to remain in the starting lineup. And I also wonder, too, if we would have seen as the series progressed, and, and maybe we will see it if if Brooklyn gets healthy, but I do wonder if the best defensive matchup for P.J. Tucker in this series would have been James Harden. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the funny thing, isn't it? And, and, and that's why I think it does change a little bit because if Harden is... And, and I guess we could, we could wrap up the show on this. So Harden is out. When you look at the minutes, you know, Bruce Brown was the guy that saw a significant yeah. uptick. Mike James playing 30 minutes is, is really staggering. We'll, we'll, I mean, Jesus. He, he had 12 points. He was fantastic. Seven rebounds. He did a great job, Mike James. And by the way, he's been a fantastic player for them off the bench. I've seen a number of games where he's been a legitimate factor. So he's just a really, really solid basketball player. He's been getting it done overseas for a long time. So no knock on him. But whether it's James, whether it's Brown, I mean, listen, you're replacing James Harden with these two guys. I, I think when you had uh, Tucker, Middleton, Holiday, Giannis, then and the three guys, and it made sense. Again, I just put length on Durant, and if you're going to switch more, then you know having PJ out there still makes sense because he's a great communicator. He's one of the best in the team in timing those switches, communicating, and all those types of things. So again, I don't think that it's a huge ask. I also just like you said, I, I can't see Bud making the change after one game. I, well, you know, I would be shocked. Well, and I, look, I know it seemed like, and you touched on it too, they didn't really want to switch because they liked those matchups that they worked for. But now that you know James Harden is out and it's just two of the three that you're going to have to worry about, as we've talked about, the Bucks have enough bodies in, in terms of those wing players that you can throw out there. And not that it's a good matchup, but I think they're they're set up as well as any team in the league to defend this team. That to me, that's more of a all right, now that it's just two of the three, it makes sense for us to go back to everything we did against Miami and just switch for the entire game. 
We'll see. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned this a lot, but after one game, it's easy to, you know, lose your mind a little bit. And I certainly understand it. But game two, game three, this is where we're going to see whether there's going to be adjustments and some of the things we've talked about, whether we're going to see a little bit more of this. And quite frankly, again, as much as we talk about the defense, they had a pretty good defensive performance in game one. I think there's significant upside for the Brooklyn offense. And that's something you have to be wary of. But it's on the offensive end for Milwaukee. So I'm really excited to see what they do here in game two. And you can generally hear a wrap up of the Bucks or of the NBA playoffs and the baseball and everything else on the Locked On Today podcast in under 20 minutes as it's hosted by Peter Bukowski. Uh, he gives you the updates and news in every major sport with the help of the local experts across the network. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 6.30 tip again, game two in Brooklyn. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. It, um, well, I, I, can, I can share this, as I know our friend Eric Name will often tweet out the tip times, too. Uh, it is listed as a 6.30 tip, but mm-hmm. uh, be prepared for that to drag on oh. much closer to 7 o'clock, as I believe the last check was it is going to be a 6.50 tip-off. So it means a 50-minute pregame show that you get from me and uh, Ted Davis. And by the way, for those fans that are in Milwaukee, if you're missing out on your fill of Jim Paschke, um, before game one, and we're going to do it again before game two, whenever you're listening to this, but Monday night, Jim Paschke and myself, we're going to be out in the Deer District and out just outside the arena doing a little bit of a preview just before game number two. So if you still miss Jim Paschke like the rest of us, come out to the arena before the game, and uh, he and I are going to do a game preview beforehand. Two men of the people, Justin and Jim, both on the podcast here in the last week. Sensational stuff. We love it. Uh, And I saw a number of people out there over the weekend. Hopefully, um, they're all out there again tomorrow night or tonight because uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. This is a big game. Hopefully, when we speak to you post-game on this show, we are talking about a series that's locked up at one apiece. But we look forward to finding out whether that's the case. Justin, always a pleasure to speak with you. And for everyone listening to the show. I keep saying this, but if you're new and just jumping on board for the playoff run, uh, share it around, subscribe, follow, whatever it is that you do on your podcast app. We really appreciate uh, you guys. It's been fun to see the numbers continue to rise here over the last couple of weeks. But uh, other than that, we'll wrap it up. We'll catch you guys after game two. Stay safe, have fun. We'll catch you guys then.